0: We are in the middle of a teaching series that we do annually after Easter called Stories from the Seats. I'll let you go ahead and get situated, Mark. Um, In this series, what we do is we know that we all have a story to tell, and it's not just our story, but it's a story of how God is at work in our lives. And uh, we believe that when we hear other people's stories, and we hear some of the details of their lives, we actually get a better glimpse into what God may be doing in our story and with our lives as well. So I'm excited to introduce Mark Hubbard, and I'm glad that he showed up this morning because I told him, I said it wouldn't have been the same me reading his story from his page. But Mark and his wife Angie and their family uh, worship regularly with us in our, on our Waverly campus. Uh, they've been longtime members here at Orchard Church. Mark is the football coach at Waverly as well as runs his uh, own financial business up there. And um, one of the things that you're going to hear in Mark's story that I want you to listen for is how God uses pivotal circumstances and providential relationships, how he just brings people into our lives and walks with us at times. I think you're going to hear that. In a few of the stories that he shares with us this morning. So I'm going to pray for you briefly, and then turn you loose. God, I'm so thankful for Mark. I'm thankful that he is willing to come up here and share the story of you at work in his life. And I pray that you would open our ears and our hearts and our minds to not only uh, receive his story and be encouraged by it, but to then uh, turn and look in our own lives to see where you may be at work in us, what you may be calling us into. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Mark.
1: I was born and raised in Parkersburg, Iowa, to Dave and Charlene Hubbard. My mom is a native of Ackley, and dad is a native of Marshalltown. Dad met mom while working for the Parkersburg newspaper. There was a new music teacher in town, and dad went to do a story. The rest, as they say, is history. Dad would later give up on journalism and spent the next 37 years of his working life as a chipper and grinder at Viking Pump here in Cedar Falls. Mom would teach music for 18 years at Parkersburg schools before resigning to raise my brothers and I. My growing up years were probably pretty typical by Northeast Iowa standards. I was the firstborn. My middle brother, Paul, who was four years younger than me, was a close companion and still is to this day. My youngest brother, John, is 11 years younger than me, so I had more of a father-brother role until he got older. Like most brothers, we fought, we made up, and we fought some more. All this being said, I'm so thankful for my relationship with these two guys both then and now. With mom being a music teacher, we were required to be in every single music and band production at AP High School, or we wouldn't be allowed to participate in athletics. Looking back now, being involved in sports and music helped shape us by being exposed to so many great teammates and mentors. When we weren't busy with school activities, we were busy detasseling corn, working on grandparents' farm, or dreaming about playing football in the Dome for Ed Thomas. We attended Bethel Lutheran in Parkersburg. Mom was a choir director there as well. So yes, we all sang in the church choir with plenty of encore performances during our college years for the Christmas and Easter productions. Dad was also active in the church, serving on the church council, writing articles, and ushering on several occasions. Looking back, both mom and dad used their gifts in different ways. Mom would continue to direct choirs until COVID-19 shut that down. Watching mom coach her choirs probably made me the stickler for details that I am today with our football program. Dad, on the other hand, was more of a reader and a writer. I have countless memories of seeing dad reading his Bible before bed, reading scripture for the church on Sunday mornings, or writing articles for the church newsletter. Because of their influence and instruction at such a young age, I feel as I've always had a relationship with Jesus, and I don't recall when it truly began. Mom and Dad laid such a great foundation of faith for us boys. Growing up in Parkersburg, just about every boy played flag football in elementary school except my mother wouldn't let me for fear of injury, (laughs) which made no sense to me because we were playing tackle football at recess when the teacher wasn't looking. I recall having to listen to my buddies' stories of their weekend flag football games at school on every Monday. It just crushed me inside that I couldn't be a part of it. Finally, when I was in sixth grade, mom and dad said I could play flag football and we'd see about seventh grade padded football when the time came. They allowed me to play in seventh grade and from then on, the fire burned hot. I just couldn't get enough. Then throw in an environment like AP in the 1990s A Hall of Fame coach and Ed Thomas, three teammates that went on to play in the NFL, and it was like throwing gas on the fire. At a time in my life when I wasn't sure how brilliant my parents were, there was Coach Thomas. He was preaching the exact same things my folks were at home, but for some reason, if Coach said it, it stuck. God knew I needed his mentorship. Without a doubt, God also knew what he was doing when he crossed my paths with Angie in 1996. She was a sophomore and I was a senior. I was lifting weights one day when I saw her walking to softball practice. The guy I was lifting with said, you're going to have to wait because her dad says no dates until she's 16. (laughs) I ended up waiting a couple of months after she turned 16, which just happened to be the same week we were playing in the state quarterfinals of football. I still remember Coach Thomas calling me into his office that week and asking me if I had my head screwed on right or not. I told him, don't worry, coach. I patted him on the shoulder and walked out of his office with a smile. Nope, not even Ed Thomas was going to stop me. I was in love. (laughs) Angie's million-dollar smile pulled me in then and still warms my heart to this day. In case you were wondering how that season ended, we did advance to the state finals, lost 20-13, to but who really remembers that sort of thing? After high school graduation, I attended Wartburg College and majored in football and history education, pretty much in that order. I had a lot of success on the field as a freshman and enjoyed my time on the team. However, going back to football in August of my sophomore year, it just didn't feel right. I was in a position to compete for real playing time on the varsity, but the fire just wasn't there. It was the hardest thing to explain. How had this fire finally burned out? I just had this pull that I needed to go coach under Ed Thomas, and I couldn't wait until I graduated from college to do so. I had to do it now. It was so odd that God was telling me to hang it up as a player and get into coaching, and while it was so puzzling, it was equally so clear. I was at peace with the decision and went in to talk to Rick Willis, the head coach at the time at Warburg, and told him my plans to go coach under Ed Thomas for the remainder of my college years. Rick told me there would be no one better to learn from but that I'd be giving up my playing years for something that I could do long after I was done playing. I respected this insight, but the pull was just too strong. I wasn't sure I'd be able to get a teaching job at AP after college, so I felt this was my only chance. I spent two seasons coaching with Ed Thomas, and those two seasons were an incredible introduction into coaching. During my time at Wartburg, Angie and I continued to date, and she ended up attending Wartburg in the fall of 1999, majoring in math education and computer science. During college, Angie and I attended, started attending Orchard Hill here in Cedar Falls. Angie grew up going to First Reformed in Applington and, like me, watched her parents and grandparents serve in their church. We were married the summer of 2002. That was also my first year as the head coach at Union LaPorte City. I was taking over a program that was in the midst of a 14-game losing streak, during these first years of being a head coach, I often called Coach Thomas for guidance on anything from plays to run, how to handle certain players, and parent situations. Ed was always there for me. In December of 2002, Angie graduated from college, and instead of entering the world of education, she went to work servicing and selling 401 k plans for Principal Financial Group. Life was really pretty easy. We were double income, no kids, running a detasseling business in the summer for extra money. We spent the weekends fixing up our home, going to weddings, reading or hunting. Angie was coaching girls track in her spare time and directed the church Christmas program where we were attending. I was on the church council. We both sang in the church choir. Truthfully, I was beginning to struggle as a classroom teacher. I recall walking out our front door the first day of school my fourth year and telling Angie, today is the last first day of school I'm ever going to have she asked me what I was going to do and I told her I've got nine months to figure it out (laughs) little did I know it was going it was not going to be easy finding a career that would mesh with the time demands of being a head football coach at Union during the next nine months I learned that I was wired for entrepreneurship but still had a strong desire to help people I guess I should have known given various leadership roles in the past but the personality tests were spot on truth is I loved working with kids, and I still do. I loved teaching my subject area, but what I learned about myself was I could not teach the same lesson plan four times a day. Without even realizing it, God had been preparing me for business ownership my whole life. Team captain, starting a detasseling business and becoming a head coach. I couldn't see it myself starting a financial planning firm, but thankfully the leadership at Northwestern Mutual could. They said I could continue as the head coach and build a successful business alongside it. I thought I had the tiger by the tail. Angie was also on board 100% because she knew how miserable I was and was tired of listening to me whine. I quickly found out that all of this perceived flexibility in my new job was because there was also no salary. (laughs) Yep, 100% commission. Funny how flexible an employer is when they aren't paying you a salary. As it turns out, there were more people than just me that couldn't see me making the change from a regular steady paycheck to a 100% commission job. One of those people was my dad. When I told him at Thanksgiving that year, the first thing he asked me was, How do you plan on eating? <laughs> I assured him that wouldn't be a problem, although I didn't have a great answer just yet. Thankfully, once again, God blessed me with great mentors and teammates at work who picked me up on multiple occasions when I felt like quitting. My last day of teaching was on a Friday in May of 2005, and I started training the next Monday. Thankfully, Angie was there once again to support us with her job while the business endured more than one lean year. 17 years later, along with a great office team, we are still helping clients with their financial planning needs. I guess you could say we are still in education, but our students are a bit older, and every single person that walks in the door brings in a different problem that needs a clear solution. God knew I needed more variety, and he provided it. By June of 2006, Wesley Mark Hubbard had arrived on the scene. I was now a dad and would never be able to read John 3:16 the same ever again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son to save sinners like Mark Hubbard. I just couldn't fathom trading our children for the sins of the world. How could God love me that much? The football program at Union was also starting to turn the corner. We were going to build a house, and I was really enjoying my second year at Northwestern Mutual. Everything seemed to be going according to plan. However, early in 2007, I learned that Waverly Shellrock was looking for a head football coach. Angie immediately said no, and I agreed. After all, we were at peace, and things made sense. About 30 days later, I happened to have breakfast with two friends who were also football coaches from Waverly. And they gave me a little more insight. And I decided to formally apply just to appease my friends. I told Angie not to worry. (laughs) The application turned into an interview. And once again, I told Angie that I would go interview so I didn't burn a bridge. And again, told her not to worry. Upon arriving home that night, I told Angie that if offered the job, we should take it. (laughs) It was crystal clear. And we were both at peace with this but it was very, very hard to leave Union. I learned so much during those years at Union, and God crossed my paths with some great mentors once again. Our first season at Waverly-Shell Rock was 2007. We played in the Dome and learned that Angie was pregnant with number two. We found a church in Waverly and once again started to get involved. Things seemed to be going well. Once again, God once again pointed me in the direction of more mentors. An assistant coach on our staff recommended that I start attending the Waverly Businessman's Bible Study, which met weekly. This group was made up of myself as a 30-year-old, one other 40-year-old, and several other retired businessmen. The mentorship and lessons I learned from these men were priceless and helped me learn how to lean into God, even in business. The best part of this group was that it was non-denominational. Yep. We had guys from every church in town meeting once a week to study God's word and learn from one another. Did we always agree on everything? Nope. But we could always agree that we were all broken, the devil is real, and we needed Jesus. I attended that study for 10 years and would say my faith grew 30 years in those 10. Just by listening to those men talk about their scripture, Their business, their marriages, their kids, and their walk with the Lord. All I had to offer each week was a sneak peek on who our opponent was in the first play we were going to run. 2008, however, was going to be a tough year. In April of 2008, I was offered a position at another financial planning firm. It was more guaranteed income, less travel, and less evenings. They'd also let me keep coaching football. Again, Angie and I went to the Lord, asking him to make it clear which job to take. About a month later, we got our answer. It was May 25, 2008, and we were traveling back to Parkersburg to attend a cousin's graduation party. While driving into Parkersburg, we could see this massive black thing moving into town, so we decided to head south on Highway 14 to avoid the weather. We stopped on a hill about two miles south of town and watched the destruction roll through Parkersburg. Thankfully, my parents and Angie's grandparents survived. The home I grew up in was destroyed. We drove directly back into town, and I recall asking my dad which home was ours, and he said, you're looking at it. I couldn't even recognize the town I'd grown up in. We packed up my parents and headed back to Waverly, where we'd housed them and my youngest brother, John, who had just graduated from high school the week before. The following Saturday, my middle brother Paul was set to be married. How my mom handled a graduation, a tornado, and a wedding on three consecutive weekends could only be the hand of God. On the drive back to Waverly with my parents, I told Angie it was pretty clear that I should take this new job offer with more guaranteed income and less time because I'd be so busy helping with mom and dad and it would take some pressure off. She completely agreed. Finally, the clarity we needed, or so we thought. In just a few more miles, we arrived back into Waverly that night, around midnight. We couldn't even get in the front door of our home. Due to all the care packages that were blocking the door, food, money, clothes, and beds had all been stacked up in the four hours since we'd left home that afternoon. Who had done all of this? It was such an outpouring from people who assumed we'd have house guests for a period of time. As I read through the cards, it became clear that nearly all of these people were our current clients. The same people who trusted their finances to a career changing football coach had come to our rescue. I took one look at Angie and said we can't leave these clients because they're expecting us to be there for them on their best and their worst days. By September of 2008, Angie was ready to pop, and we had the opportunity to meet Lindy Marie Hubbard. Lindy's birth brought so much happiness in a year that had been filled with adversity. Wesley's first words were, she's special. I'm pretty sure he still feels this way, but I don't recall hearing it as of late. Lindy's birth softened me as a coach, and our players haven't had to run as much ever since. (laughs) November of 2008 brought more adversity, however. 2008 had a nasty stock market crash, and with it, Angie's position was eliminated. Here we were, two kids, a new business, and now the breadwinner was looking for work. Thankfully, it didn't take long for Angie to find a new job, which brought with it some daycare struggles. After seeing Angie cry for two weeks about the daycare situation, I felt the Lord telling me that Angie could work part-time and stay home with the kids part-time. So I told her of my idea. She asked me where she could find a job like that, and I told her that we could work together. Now you need to understand, I am an eternal optimist. Angie is a realist. She calculates things. I'm more apt to dive headfirst into things and figure it out as I go. Angie took one look at me and said, you aren't exactly crushing it in your business, you know. (laughs) She was right, and all the motivation I needed to jump levels, and I knew having Angie's expertise on the team would surely help the business grow. We had always wondered why Angie never found a teaching job and went into the world of finance, and now we knew why. Yet one more time, God knew I needed help, and this time it just happened to be my best friend. 2009 brought with it the murder of coach ed thomas by one of his former players mark becker needless to say i was crushed with his passing the phone calls for advice were gone i could finally understand why and it was so clear why i stopped playing in college to go coach football god knew i needed to coach more than i needed to play for what he was planning for my life Jump ahead to 2011, and we were pregnant with baby number three. Angie was in her 40th week and had been to the hospital early in the week in hopes of having a baby. While that didn't happen, we scheduled an induction day the following week and went home. On 9.15 a.m. on Sunday morning, our lives changed forever. Angie said it was time, so I scooped up the three- and five-year-old and took them to the vehicle. I ran up the garage door, started the vehicle, and told them I'd be right back and not to touch a thing. I ran up the stairs only to find Angie standing in our bathroom screaming. And I yelled, what is that? She yelled back, it's a head. I yelled back, put it back in. (laughs) I immediately went into fix it mode, but was so freaked out that I couldn't even dial 911. Angie ended up having to call 911 (laughs) and the nurse's station on her flip phone On her own, and I have never heard the end of this part of the story, (laughs) Angie, being the smart woman that she is, climbed into the bathtub, and Kaylee rolled right out. She was wet and purple and not breathing. As the nurses on speakerphone were coaching me up, I remember having the thought, Lord, are you really going to allow this to happen? Angie's screams were deafening. And then all of a sudden, Kaylee cried. The most beautiful sound I had ever heard. You see, I had always thought I really understood gratitude. I had even taught it to our players, and I still do to this day. But for those 15 seconds when I was wondering if my daughter would live, I had never felt fear like that before. When Kaylee let out that first cry, I've never felt more full of gratitude. In Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, we read, For it is grace we have been saved by faith. And this is not from ourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, what's going on here is the Apostle Paul is trying to explain to the early Christians that you can't earn salvation by performing good deeds, that it's free, and that we do these good deeds because of the gratitude in our hearts for this amazingly free gift. As I read this verse a few weeks after Kaylee's birth, I was very restless. Is my level of gratitude for my salvation on the same level as the gratitude I felt that morning when Kaylee finally took her first breath, up to that point, I'd say no. If I was truly thankful, most of the good works we all do every day wouldn't be an issue. And we'd do everything with a grateful heart. Every time I look at Kaylee, I'm reminded to be thankful. Not only for her birth, but more so Jesus' birth and resurrection. I can't share my story from the seats without 2016. This was the year I nearly gave up coaching. Our football team that year was having a good run, and we had just won a big playoff game over a program I have a ton of respect for. The next morning, we brought the players in for their film and weightlifting as usual. Film was over, and I was in the parking lot talking to Dave Fink, one of our assistant coaches, about our next opponent before we left. That was the last time I ever spoke to Dave. Dave suffered a heart attack later that evening. He was 41 years old, knew Jesus, had a beautiful family, a great career, and had been coaching football with us for a number of years. Our players loved Dave. Our staff loved Dave. I'm not sure I've ever met anyone that didn't love Dave, and now he was gone. The next night was Sunday, and our school organized a prayer vigil at the football stadium. Thursday was the visitation. The playoff game was on Friday. The funeral was on Saturday. That week, I could feel God. I recall praying for the words, and I also recall praying for help to just be still and be silent. We lost the game on Friday. The fellas played very inspired football. They got home around midnight, and were all sitting in this gym in their jerseys, For Dave's funeral the next morning. I'm not sure I've ever been more proud of a football team. Perhaps for some, it was their first time inside of a church or opportunity to learn Dave's true reason for coaching football was so much bigger than football. That winter found me questioning if I should still be in coaching. I would see Dave's wife and three young boys in church on Sundays now without Dave and I would literally cry. I would then ask myself, why in the heck are you spending so much time away from your family, coaching everyone else's kids, and leaving yours at home for Angie to handle alone? I remember crying out to God, why have you led me into coaching while I battle feelings of guilt every time I walk out the door? I proceeded to type my resignation letter and pray. As the weeks and months passed after Dave's funeral, it became clear that we needed to seek out some professional help for Angie and I to determine if coaching should still be in our lives. Angie and I visited with Jeff Mickey and worked with a counselor to try to determine if this was still God's will. And if so, please make it clear to us. It turns out that following God is not always the easy path or maybe not even the path we envisioned. Following God requires us to be obedient to his calling for our life, not what is easy and not what feels good. When obedience meets God's will, then his work will be done. You see, while it is true that I will always love competition of some sort, right now I feel called to lead young people. And thankfully, my family is willing to make the continued sacrifices that they do to allow me to coach. My family is also obedient to God by doing so. As the hair on my head continues to leave me, I do get asked more and more, how long will you continue to coach? I tell them I still love working with young people. We'll probably always need competition of some kind. I love the guys I coach with. But every time in my life when I have tried to take control of my future, God has set something else planned. So we take it one year at a time and try to remember Ephesians 3.20 every time we want an immediate answer. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Why this passage, you ask? Well, roughly 10 years ago, Dave Bartlett did a teaching on this same verse. And he said something to the effect of, write down your biggest dreams for your life. Go ahead, plan it all out, and then put it in a drawer. Then go follow Jesus and come back to open the drawer in 10 years. You will find out that things turned out different and oftentimes better than you could have ever imagined. This brings us to 2022, the most recent addition to this story. As recent as just a few days ago, this portion of the story wasn't even written. You see, when I was asked to be a part of Stories from the Seats, I said yes only because I thought it was something that perhaps could help maybe one person. And if that were the case, then it would be worth it. While writing this story over the past eight weeks, the voice in my head would say things like, your story isn't that interesting. Or telling your story is just going to make you look extremely arrogant. Or telling your story is a waste of your time and their time. Just throw something together and be done already. On Tuesday night of this week, I told Angie, I'm done. It's going to have to be good enough. And then I really just need to get this over with. Went to bed very unsettled. I woke up Wednesday morning, all the while wondering how this story really needed to have some kind of an ending. And I went to read the next chapter in my morning devotional, which just happened to be The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. In full transparency, For the last two years, I'd been using this book to hold up my dual monitor in my office because it was exactly the right height (laughs) and made it level with my other monitor. But then for some reason, I grabbed it and took it on spring break with us. It's just a 40-day devotional, and I've missed only a day here or there. But the timing for me to read that chapter on that day was God-ordained. The title of the chapter was Sharing Your Life's Message. I was stunned. I will paraphrase, but as I read, I was reminded of the things I had known since I was a little boy. Things my parents and all of my mentors had taught me. Things I had forgotten these past eight weeks while attempting to cram 43 years into 25 minutes for you today. Things like this. The devil is real. And he will do anything to keep us from sharing our stories. The devil knows that more people come to Christ through personal testimonies than anything else, perhaps even more than Sunday sermons from pastors. If we fail to share our stories, of God working in our lives, the devil wins. And the kingdom of God loses. I told Angie of my morning devotional, cried in her arms, and decided this final story had to be included today. Once I realized all of this, I couldn't wait for today to take a swing back at the devil for the pain he'd been causing me. a bit competitive (laughs) ultimately I stopped listening to myself and I went back to talking to myself and repeating over and over and over again my original reason for saying yes in the first place if sharing this story can impact only one person then it would be worth it and the devil wouldn't win today little did I know that one person would be me. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Thanks so much for sharing. You know, um, so many God moments in that story, right? As you just continue to take one next step. And, um, and then you look back and you see how many people God placed in your life. And, and I think of what Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he says, follow my example as I follow Christ. And there were people who were following Christ saying that to you, and now you're doing that for so many young people today. And the other thing I learned about your story, how much tougher your wife is than you are. <laughs> Yeah. Completely. What a great example. And you guys have worked hard together to do this as a team and to build a team with your family. So thanks. I'm going to pray for Mark and then we're going to continue to sing. God, thank you so much. Um, Thank you for Mark and thank you for how you walked with him through this process. I thank you for the impact it's had on his life as he's looked back and been able to see so clearly. Um, As as he's surrendered, as he's taken next steps, you just meet him, and you guide him, and you put people in his life to encourage him along the way. Right from the very beginning, from his sovereign foundations, having a family who knew you and walked with you and worshipped you. And now as he tries to do that with his family and with with the students that he leads through football and through the school as he does it through his clients that he works with, Lord. Um, May he continue to take steps of faith and surrender to you and find you in that next moment. And now, uh, may we all do the same. May we see you at work in our lives and have the courage to take the next step you're calling us into. It's in your name we pray. Amen.